Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. So Chuck Colson wrote a great book, um, How Then Shall We Live, or How Now Shall We Live? Um, and it's a great question, and it, it provokes us in every generation and in every, in every day. So because every morning there is a new headline that's going to break our hearts. Um, there's a new headline that's going to sear our conscience. Some, someone has done something that convulses our emotions um, or threatens our sense of safety or even our our sense of whether or not the world is just, you know, cascading pale mail in a direction that is bad. All right. So it feels increasingly as if the world is upended. If you if you just were to pay attention to the headline news every day and you were to uh, fail to recognize that in the midst of this day, uh, God reigns and God is available and God is sovereign. And so I, I just just a, a couple of thoughts on this question of how now shall we live? Right now, today, now. First of all, be mindful that this is the day the Lord has made, and we will rejoice and we will be glad in it. How shall we live today with the recognition that this is the day the Lord has made and that we will rejoice and be glad in it this day and every day? This is the Lord's day. Uh, secondly, this is the day the Lord has deigned for us to live. Like, uh, obviously, God did not. Uh, ordained for you and I to live in the 1800s, or we would have, or in the days of Jesus, or we would have. No, no. God deigned that you and I would be alive today. And so this is the day the Lord has made, and the Lord has made us to live in it. Scripture says that God has prepared in advance the good works for each and every one of us to do. Um, And so how now shall we live? Well, we shall live as those who are prepared to lead, lead a life that's worthy of the calling to which we have been called on this day and every day. And and then I, I also think it's just critically important to remember and recognize, no matter what the headlines say, uh, this is not the end of the story. This is not how the story ends. God has not only set eternity in our hearts, he has redeemed us. We are justified. And because we are justified, as Paul says in Romans 5, we have a living hope now and a hope of glory to come forevermore. So it is literally all about perspective. When we talk about how now shall we live, it's literally all about perspective, which was Chuck Colson's point in his book, um, that your worldview matters, that the way that you look at things matters. And if you are looking at everything through a gospel worldview, um, then you will see things differently than those who have only cause for despair. So how now shall we live? We shall live with the knowledge and declaration that this is the day that the Lord has made, and we will rejoice, and we will be glad in it. Next up, I'm talking with Bill English from BibleAndBusiness.com. We're going to touch on 
a number of economic headlines. We'll be right back. Joining me again today, Bill English from BibleandBusiness.com. Welcome back, sir. Hey, thanks. Good to be back. So um, we're all working from home. It's not new yes. for me, but it's it's new for a lot of people. It's gone on much longer than many people ever imagined. Um, it shocked companies initially, like suddenly everyone's working from home. Um, there are lessons that they that companies are learning that employers are learning. Um, let's just talk about you know productivity and how we continue to stay productive in this very strange new world. Yeah, uh, and uh, being the CEO of a company with 800 employees, I can tell you that when we started to have people work from home, there was a lot of skepticism on on my management team about this. What we have found is what others have found is that productivity has pretty much uh, stayed stable, whether people are working from home or working uh, in the office. And over the half the country now is working from home. I think they uh, they found that in May which was the kind of the peak of this shutdown for the nation, um, 52% of American workers were working full-time from home, another 18% part-time. So 70%, about 100 million people, were working at home at least part-time. And that number has stayed above. Uh, the the 70% has dropped to about 52 53% now, but it's still uh, higher, way higher than 2016. And I think what's happening is that a lot of uh, employers are now saying, wait a minute, um, we're going to have to plan for this for the foreseeable future. And there's a lot of employees who are going, you know, I don't like the commute. Why would I go back to commuting? You know, if you're in Chicago, I used to live in Chicago, and, and you hop on the train to go downtown, it's an hour, hour and a half sometimes. Ride down and another hour, hour and a half back. Why would you do that when you can work from home? So employees are are really uh, learning that they can uh, that they can work from home, be just as productive with the uh, remote technology tools that we now have, and that they're actually pretty happy, pretty happy with uh, with working from home. So there's a uh, a big technology conversation that has to be a part of this, not only the hardware that we all have to have in order to work from home, but the software um, as well. Um, this was an incredible number. I, I don't think I was surprised by it, but it's kind of interesting to know that Zoom had 10 million daily meetings, daily meeting participants, 10 million right. daily meeting participants in December. Four months right. later, 300 million daily right. meeting participants. I'm I'm one of them. I mean, I I have on average one Zoom meeting a day. Some days I have multiple Zoom meetings. I know people who have 8 or 10 Zoom meetings every day. Like that is how they're functioning. Um so talk a little bit with us about using the technology that you have um and then also addressing the reality that people crave contact contact. Yeah, and 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 the question there when you combine them is can they get the contact that they need through technology, mm. right? Because um, I've, I've often thought that technology makes relationships rather plastic. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, you can, you can communicate, but 
can you really connect? Well, uh, I think with Zoom and Teams and other types of video conferencing pieces that are real time, if the connections are good, yeah, you can connect. Now, not as good as if you're in person. I'm not. I'm not saying that. But uh, for a lot of business uh, applications here where people aren't trying to be intimate, they're just trying to connect professionally, what we're finding is that the uh, remote technologies, these video and audio conferencing technologies, are probably sufficient. You know, in my role as a, as a partner at the Platinum Group, uh, I, I'm constantly trying to uh, connect with lawyers and accountants and uh, financial planners and uh, you know bankers and, and other trusted advisors to small business owners because we're always looking for referrals. And you know, Carmen, in the past, I would let's let's meet at Caribou on this date at this time. Let's have a cup of coffee together. And I don't know how much coffee I have. Caribou is one of the reasons they're successful is because of me. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> but today I don't have to schedule a time at Caribou. I can just schedule a thirty-minute Zoom call. Everybody gets it. And I can get more networking done in less time just by doing it this way. So what do you need? You need good bandwidth. You need a really solid video camera. I, I went out and bought the top-of-the-line Logitech 4K HD, you know, super-duper, it washes your windows too kind of camera. And, uh, uh, you know, you need, you need a really solid uh, laptop. I have a Surface Pro 7 uh, with, with all the all the RAM. And, um, but after you have that, you know, you're, you're really good to go. So I, I don't know. Have, have you found, have you found that you're able to stay connected professionally? And I don't think you could date through zoom. I think that's stupid, but could you, um, have you found that you can connect professionally with zoom and, and, and it's okay. I don't know what, what's your experience. It's probably going to be all kinds of people that are now going to at you because you said you can't date through zoom. Um, I actually think that there, <laughs> there's all kinds of, uh, dating going on right now through video platforms. Um, is there really? Oh, yeah. See, I'm married, oh, yeah. so what would I know about it? Exactly. Well, that's good. I'm so glad you don't know anything about it. That's fantastic. Um, so uh, let's see. My experience has been, wow, I was really glad to get back to in-person church on Sunday. And the Zoom um, meetings, gatherings that I had with my small group, um, they don't, it doesn't, it's not the same. I mean, it's good. It's good. It's adequate. But it's not like being with people face to face in their presence. There is something about the flesh, right? There's a reason Jesus came from heaven to earth in the flesh. He didn't just zoom in, right? Um, there wasn't just a broadcast in the sky that everybody, you know, tuned into. Like the flesh matters. Matter matters. Um, and so I think that's part of it for me. Um People are precious and people are substantive and the matter of them matters. And so I think that for me, that's a part of the conversation. I do suspect that for people who um, maybe don't share that that theology, it's maybe it's fine for them. I am really looking forward to uh, I know my kids are looking forward to in-person school. That has been very unsatisfying for them to do uh, online with no contact whatsoever. Um and maybe the other conversation that we could have, I know we have to take a quick break, Paul. Um, so let's take a very brief break. When we come back, Bill, let's address the reality that um, the workday has really changed. Like there are now people who want to meet at all hours of the day and night and think it's appropriate to 
you know, to suggest that. So there's there is also this no sense that there is a work day that is confined to some number of hours in a particular time zone. So can we talk about that and sort of managing life in the midst of that? Sure. All right. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Continue my conversation with Bill English. You can find him at BibleandBusiness.com. Um, Bill, uh, here's a here's a stat for us to consider. Microsoft Teams, which is one of these uh, online platforms where people meet together, we use we utilize it um, at Faith Radio. Microsoft Teams saw a 15 to 23 percent increase in usage between the hours of 8 and 9 a.m. and between the hours of 6 and 8 p.m. and the number of chats happening on weekends increased by more than 200 percent so the the parameters of the work day are just gone and the parameters of the work week are gone and that is unsettling to me but see i think it's been that way ever since we 1984 when john postal introduced smtp simple mail transport protocol I, i i'm being a little little weird to make the point uh, by the way, email, the whole protocol and the whole underlying technology uh, for email that we take for granted today, it was developed by a guy named John Postal. So go figure, right? Um, but how many people already work evenings and weekends? It's just that we're not doing video and audio conferencing and chats. We're doing emails and phone calls. I, I, I think that the eight to five uh, workday schedule has been jettisoned probably for 10 to 15 years. I'm just I, I not sure. I I'm just not sure that it's healthy. I know I do it too, but um, I guess I'm confessing that I'm not sure that it's healthy um, for our relationships. Not healthy for our spiritual life. I mean, people are not taking a Sabbath day, um, and they're certainly not taking a Sabbath from work when they go on vacation. And I just, you know, I guess maybe I just want to pause there and just remind us that we are not what we do. We are human beings. We're not human doings. Yeah, I, you know, I, I'm one of those guys that checks email when he's on vacation because I know if I don't, I'm going to come back to a thousand or more emails. It, it really is a trade-off decision. Mm-hmm. Do you, you know, do you, in our always connected world where Microsoft and other uh, companies have, through technology, have been uh, able to increase our productivity anytime, anywhere, uh, there is now an expectation that you're always connected, and that's just part of business. And is it healthy? Uh, boy, I hope you like your job. I think if you really enjoy your job, it may actually have some health benefits. If you hate your job, no, it's not healthy. Uh, now, having said that, I will I will say that uh, every weekend between 24 and 36 hours, I shut my laptop and I don't do any emails. I, I just don't. I just turn it off because I have to have that break. Um, but you know, if, if you live on a dairy farm and your cow gets out at <laughs> right. one in the morning, you know, you're on duty, right? Okay. Yeah, Paul D- can talk dairy, about that, right? dairy farmers are already like, I, <laughs> I, I, that is already a category of human being that I hardly know how to esteem highly enough because cows have to be milked twice a day, every day, no break. I, yeah, that's already, yeah, you, so- you have named the one, the one job in the world that I I just jaw-droppingly esteem people that work in the dairy industry. There you go. Now, now you know. Now you know my most highly esteemed profession. Um, you know what, Paul's, Paul's feeling the love right now, I'm sure. Well, so. I did grow up on a dairy farm, so I know the pain. 
I'm telling you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, back to school. Back to school. Let's talk yeah. a little bit about the economics yeah. of back to school, um, since this is what I teed up to talk with you about today and I haven't gotten to it yet. Um, all, all kinds of conversations like the back to school shopping season is like second only to Christmas, I think. I mean, I, so talk right. with us about right. uh, what people are not buying, what they are buying um, and then how maybe how people are going to manage now that the, the relief package from Congress you know, ended at the end of July and has not been replaced. Well, okay, on that last question, they're going to have to go back to work. They're not going to get their 930 or $50 a week now. And uh, and I think it's going to lower the uh, the unemployment rate and increase the revenues back to the government through payroll taxes. Uh, in terms of kids going back to school, I don't know what they're buying, but I do know they're going to buy it online as opposed to in a brick-and-mortar mm. Store, so the online retailers are going to win, and the brick and mortars are going to lose. Look, uh, there's there's two businesses I would not want to be in right now. One is brick and mortar retail, and the other one is owning um, office space, office buildings. Mm. Uh, those two places, I if man, if I, if I was in those, I'd be getting out as fast as I could right now. Uh, and and frankly, uh, I think uh, the uh, online retailers, uh, the the adjacent businesses that are going to do very well and are doing very well are all the shipping companies and all of the online marketing web-based companies that help uh, support the uh, e-commerce sites and that kind of stuff. So I'm familiar with one employer near where I live, uh, lots of office space around them vacant. Um, They, they approached their, um, uh, the leasing, you know, the leasing agent for the building and said, we want to bring our people back to work. But in this county, kids are not going back to school. So we want to lease adjacent space for people to be able to bring their kids. They need to be able to socially distance in that space. And we're going to supply, um, you know, adults to be in there with them. But we need you to give us that space at a really reduced rate. Um, So I do think that there are some creative ways that employers who want to help their employees be able to manage coming back to work and kids not going back to school and the glut of office space that's available around the country um, or even around the world. I mean, I do think there are some creative solutions if people are willing to, to think about it. And you know what? One of, one of the really hard hit, and I, I know I, I understand the station that I'm on right now, Faith Radio, but one of the hardest hit areas right now, and it's going to be hard hit for the foreseeable future, are colleges. And, uh, you know, I, I honestly, I envision a number of colleges jettisoning their um, their campuses and going to office space. It, it, it would just be so much cheaper. Now, you give up the college experience. Uh, but at some point, uh, people are going to have to do the cost-benefit analysis, the, the, the trade-off decision. Do you want to pay for the college experience or do you want the education? And the two are not always mutually exclusive. But, boy, I... Carmen, I think in the next 10 years, 15 years, you're going to see a number of colleges, whether they're Christian or not, go under because the supporting of the entire campus is just going to be too much. If they just want to deliver the instruction, they can do that online or through office space. This glut of office space might be ideal for some of them to maybe uh, load share, balance, uh, load balance between campus and office space, that kind of thing, uh, to reduce their overhead costs. Uh, Something's going to have to happen in that industry. Hmm. All right. Uh, For those of you wondering, University of Northwestern St. Paul is returning to campus. So you guys can check out out that news at unwsp.edu. And I and just uh, 
disclaimer here. My son is a senior at Northwest at University of Northwestern. Ooh. I love the school, and he's getting a great education, and I'm so glad he is there. Oh, I, I love I mean, that. Thanks I for that. No, nothing but kudos about it, but just talking about it from an economic standpoint, I know Al Kiratan and others in his position at other colleges, they are really up against it, and they have some very, very hard jobs uh, to navigate yeah. these waters. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. Hey, Bill English, thanks so much for joining us. You guys can find Bill at BibleAndBusiness.com. we got to take a quick break, and then we'll be right back. All right. A lot of people caught up in what I will describe as election fever. Uh, I would say that the most frequent comments I get from listeners uh, is some evaluation of what people view to be my uh, political leanings. find that pretty interesting. People comment far more about uh, how they feel about my treatment or their view of my mistreatment of one political candidate or the other. Uh, far more comments about that than about Jesus or what we're talking about related to bringing the faith to bear on uh, the headlines of the day. So that's interesting. And it aligns with Michael Brown's observations Um, that we have reached this point where evangelical Christians have a very, very hard time talking with one another uh, about Donald Trump in particular. And so Michael Brown has written a book on the topic. It is entitled Evangelicals at the Crossroads. You know, the question is, will we pass the Trump test? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. This is Max Lucado. The Bible says that the heavens declare the glory of God. Our universe is God's preeminent missionary. Doesn't a painting suggest a painter? Don't stars suggest a star maker? Doesn't creation imply a creator? Now look within you. Look at your sense of right and wrong. Who told you a moral compass exists? What is this magnetic pole that pulls the needles on the compass of your conscience, if not God? Heavens above, moral code within, God did this. The wonders above you and within you testify to his existence. But God not only made the world, he loves the world. John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world. Try that on for size. The one who formed you pulls for you. Untrumpable power stoked by unstoppable love. This is Max Locato. Your plans still prosper. You've not forgotten us. You're with us in the fight and the flood. Dr. Michael Brown is the host of the nationally syndicated radio broadcast, The Line of Fire. He is the author of now more than 40 books. You can find him at askdrbrown.org. Michael, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Great to be with you, Carmen. Thanks for having me. So the new book is Evangelicals at the Crossroads, uh, Will We Pass the Trump Test? Provocative title, even more provocative content. Let me just lead off with this. We have never had a president quite like Donald Trump. No, we never have in a bunch of ways. Uh, Just in the natural, he's different. He's a political outsider. He doesn't play the normal political games. 
He conducts himself in a whole different way. He wages Twitter wars, etc. You know, when the leader of North Korea says, I've got a button here, President Trump says, well, I got a bigger button. I mean, he's just he's a different kind of guy. But specifically for the subject at hand, we've never had a situation like this as evangelicals, because on the one hand, in terms of the things that he's done and the stances that he's taken and the promises that he's kept, he's done more for evangelical causes than any president in memory. If you flip it around, the way he behaves himself, the way he treats others, to the extent that we evangelicals are associated with him, he's done more to hurt the evangelical cause than any president in memory. So it's a really interesting situation. That's why I start the book off with the chapter on the enigma of Donald Trump and the quandary of evangelicals. Do we stand with him because he's doing so much good for evangelical causes and we believe for the good of America? Or do we distance ourselves from him for fear that our association with him will hurt our witness? And that's the big argument that's out there. Uh, if if a person reads the entire book, they they get to the bottom line at the end that ultimately what America needs is revival, and I wanna yes. I wanna bring that from the end of the book to the conversation right here towards the beginning, because Michael, um, I have uh, maybe not an equal number of listeners uh, on one side or the other of this conversation about where evangelicals should stand in relationship to Donald Trump. Um, but I have a fair vocal number on both sides. And so um, I want to talk with you about the need for revival, because that's the ultimate answer to the question. And then we're going to go back and consider the Trump test. Well, I'm, I'm thrilled that that's your heart. I'm also thrilled that it's a show with equal numbers on each side, because I've been on shows doing interviews for the book where the position is, if you're a Christian, you can't vote for Trump, or if you're a Christian, you have to vote for Trump. So we, we have to do better than that. But I'm so glad you want to start with the thing that's the most important, because look, let's face it, whoever is elected next is not the solution for America's great problems. If you are an ardent Trump supporter, four more years of Donald Trump is not going to solve the critical problems that are tearing up our nation right now. And four years of Joe Biden or someone else obviously is not going to solve the problems either. That's why I, I give a 10-point strategy at the end of the book, starting with we have to put the cross before the flag. We, we have to put spiritual activity before political activity. We have to proclaim to the world that Trump may be our president, but Jesus is our savior. And, and right now, when we look at the moral rot that is in our nation, when we look at the compromise that's in the church, when we look at the social anarchy that's spreading, when we look at the anti-God sentiments, there must be an awakening. It has to happen. E even if Trump could forestall certain negative things happening, maybe socialism or social anarchy, at best, he's a wedge in the door while the church gets on with its business. And the only hope for America is revival in the church that spreads to awakening in the nation. Otherwise, we're going to have another moral and cultural shift like we did in the 60s. But this one could push us over the cliff. So we've got to seize the urgency of the moment. And rather than get caught up in constant election fever and dividing over Trump or Biden, 
we've got to get caught up with the spiritual fever and a holy desperation for revival and awakening. It, it is the only hope. And, and I've been around for a while. I'm 65 years old. I lived through the 60s. I, I was influenced by the counterculture revolution, became a heavy drug user, got saved in 71, the Jesus revolution. I, I've seen what's happened. We've never had a day this urgent, and revival really is the only hope. So, Michael, there are um, a number of questions that you address in the book, but the the setup is this, um, that there is a Trump test for evangelicals. Um, let's let's talk about uh, defining the Trump test, what you mean by the Trump test. And then when we come back from the break, um, we'll, we'll talk uh, about this this individual unique figure uh, who is Donald Trump. Yeah, the Trump test, I mean, in two ways. Number one can we support Trump if we feel he's the better candidate on the key issues for which we're voting without compromising our testimony in the process? That's one. The other thing is, can we differ over Trump while still uniting around Jesus? Because right now we've really savaged each other. There's a chapter in the book about passing the love test, and we really haven't done it. We've torn each other up. We've been just as divided as the world has. You have the Trump derangement syndrome on the one hand and the cult of Trump on the other hand, and we as believers have to step higher and do better. So can we say when it comes to the issues that are mattering to us most for the presidency, we feel Trump is their better candidate, but here's how we preserve our testimony before the world while voting for Trump. Can we do that? And then on the other hand, can we walk in love towards one another while having differences over the president? Can we unite around Jesus rather than divide over Trump? That, I believe, is the critical issue. And that's why I say evangelicals at the crossroads, because our own immediate destiny is being determined by a lot of these questions. I'm talking with Dr. Michael Brown. We're talking about his newest book, Evangelicals at the Crossroads. Will we pass the Trump test? More when we return from a very brief break. Continuing my conversation with Dr. Michael Brown, uh, we are talking about his newest book, Evangelicals at the Crossroads. You can also just find everything that uh, Michael's doing at askdrbrown.org. Michael, let's just talk about this very, very unique figure um, who is Donald Trump. In the book, you ask, has God uniquely raised up Donald Trump? So has he? I, I believe he has for two reasons, but I need to be very careful and say first that does not mean that everything he does is right or that he's especially anointed like a, a minister of the gospel is anointed. It doesn't mean we can't differ with him. And he could have been raised up for purposes very different than what we think. But mm. the reason I believe he was raised up in a unique way, one just in the natural the likelihood of him getting in, beating all the Republican candidates, then beating Hillary Clinton was so completely uh, un uncertain. You didn't see it coming. The day of the elections, some polls gave him a 1% chance of winning. <laughs> and you remember watching the news coverage that night, everybody was in a state of shock. Uh, oh, yeah, jaw dropping. Yeah, 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 no the other about. thing is there were quite a few Christian leaders in different parts of the world, unrelated to each other, who felt 
that God showed them that Trump would be the next president. Some immediately after sharing this publicly had to say, please, I don't think I, I like the guy. I mean, it, it was so unpleasant for them to share it. They got so much flack for it. But it, it came up so many times in the analogy of Cyrus in the Bible, who was a pagan king raised up by God to do good for Israel. So even though the man himself didn't know the Lord, he was an idol worshiper. I actually quote his words in the book where he's praising the god Marduk, the god of the Babylonians, for raising him up. He was an idol worshiper who didn't know the Lord, but yet was raised up for unique purposes by God. So I do believe that, but we need to be very careful when we say it, because I'm not saying he's God's man, and you can't argue with him. Rather, it seems there were unique purposes in God raising him up. And some of the things that have happened, a lot of what's in the hearts of people has been revealed. The extreme bias of the media, really on all sides, but especially on the radical left, how radical the Democrat Party has become. That's come to the surface. And also, I believe a lot of hypocrisy in the church has been brought to the surface through the Trump presidency. So it's multifaceted. I don't know what that means for the next election. In other words, will he be elected again in, in November? I don't know. But I believe there have been some unique divine purposes above and beyond the normal elections. And that helps to explain the Trump phenomenon. I want to talk about um, the point, some of the points that you lay out in your 10-point strategy for evangelicals to pass the Trump test. Um, you know, we won't go through all 10 of them. You know, people can read uh, all 10 uh, in the book, Evangelicals at the Crossroads. But, um, but, Michael, lay out a few of them for us. All right. So, number one, we, we must put the cross before the flag. In other words, MAGA has its place and making America great or great again, whatever that means. And obviously we understand to different portions of America, they say, well, when was it great? Put that aside. Patriotism has its place. We can thank God for the many great things in our country, but we must clearly and emphatically put the cross before the flag. The Great Commission comes first. That's our great emphasis. Secondly, we must proclaim that Donald Trump is our president, not our savior. That means that's our emphasis. That means that's our focus. That means that we tell the world, Jesus died for me. He gets my heart, my life, my devotion. Trump gets my vote. We, we need to make a clear separation there and get that message out. Then we need to put greater emphasis on spiritual activity than on political activity. And we, we started off with that emphasis, that what's going to be the hope of America is the prayers of the church and evangelism in the church and the church standing up for what's right and doing what's right. That's something else. Another is we can't get caught up with election fever. Uh, another is we, we must not justify carnality and unchristian behavior. In other words, when the president does something we don't like, I, I voted for him in 2016. I opposed him in the primaries, but voted for him against Hillary Clinton. I plan to vote for him in, in November. But when he says things that I don't like, when he, he goes after NASCAR driver Bubba Wallace after giving a great inspirational speech, a great civil rights speech on Mount Rushmore, I'm going to say I wish he wouldn't do that. When he throws somebody under the bus or calls someone a dog, I'm not going to justify it. Yeah, I don't like that. I wish he wouldn't do that. But here's why I'm voting for him. These are just some of the things that we, we have to, to do. Another is we need to regain our prophetic voice. We need to go above and beyond politics. And rather than be known as Trump supporters or Trump opposers, we have to bring a prophetic witness to America. Again, if the church fails to shine, if the salt loses its saltiness, then it's of no use. And then America is really in trouble. 
So, uh, Michael, um, this will not surprise you as a radio host, um, but my text line is blowing up with uh, with comments. Um, some who believe you are a total whack and others uh, who um, who, you know, are definitely declaring the president as as savior, having missed the point that Jesus uh, is is the only one for that uh, for that job and role. I do think we are where you describe. As evangelicals, we are at a crossroads. The sabers are out. They are often um, being brandished against one another. I feel like the clear call of the book, um, which again, friends, the book is Evangelicals at the Crossroads, Will We Pass the Trump Test? I feel like the real clarion call of the book, Michael, is that we have got to get the enemy, the enemy in view, and we have to recognize that it's not one another. And that and that there is a role and responsibility for Christians and the Church of Jesus Christ in the world that goes beyond um, any any particular president or presidency, um, any four year election cycle, frankly, any nation, uh, any, you know, the reality of any nation state. And so um, so thank you for your willingness every single day to to continue to till the soil of these conversations, because it's essential. It's essential. Yeah, I, I appreciate that, Carmen. And it is. And look, friends that are listening, if you are an always Trumper, you'll find yourself well represented in this book. If you are a never Trumper, you'll find yourself well represented in the book. And then ultimately, as you say, Carmen, the goal is not so much what happens in the next elections. Trump is going to be here one day, gone another day. America is ultimately going to be here one day, gone another day. If we can step back and get God's eternal perspective, if we could, if he would zap us out of here for a little while, we could look down from his heavenly eternal perspective and then come back down and say, all right, what are our priorities? How should we live as God's people? Then I think we could really make the impact we need to. If we're going to get sucked into these battles and not even hear the larger picture, boy, if we fail, where is America going? So we are at the crossroads. I so appreciate your heart and attitude and what you're doing. And hopefully as we get our voices out, believers can rise up across the nation and do what only we can do in Jesus, because that alone is the hope of America. Absolutely. Uh, Michael Brown, thank you, as always, for your daily witness and testimony. Thank you for your prolific writing. I did have a friend ask me yesterday um, if I would ask you if you have a clone Um, How is it that you write so much? Um, But I'm not going to ask you to divulge such personal uh, information. You do produce a lot. You're really prolific. I know, right? It's so great. Hey, it's fun to talk with you. Appreciate your ministry. um, And we look forward to to talking with you again. God bless. Absolutely. Thank you. Absolutely. The the book is Evangelicals at the Crossroads. The website, askdrbrown.org. We'll be right back. Uh, I have heard you. Thank you for those of you who have texted in. The text line's always open, 877-933-2484. Appreciate uh, you sharing your views and viewpoints. Um, Let me just go ahead and tell you, you do not all agree with each other. And so um, I think that that is a healthy representation of who's listening in on the conversations that we're seeking to have here each and every day. Um, I love doing what I have the opportunity to do every day. I appreciate your presence here. Uh, love the love the community spirit um, of the conversations that we're having. And I just want to encourage you to be in the Word of God today as you venture out into the world that He so loves as a representative of the King and the Kingdom. 
you and I are living demonstrations of the gospel. And so let us lead lives that are worthy of that calling today. Let us lead lives that are worthy of the calling to which we have been called in Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord. To him be all the glory and honor uh, this day and every day on this day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Have a great day. God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.